to Mental Selling, the sales performance podcast, a show from Integrity Solutions. This is a podcast for passionate leaders in sales and customer service who are driven by purpose, not just a paycheck. People who want to create broader and deeper connections with customers and their teams by building trust and mastering the critical mental and emotional sides of sales. Ready to rise up to the top of your game? Let's get right into the show. Training and developing salespeople to build your culture. In the wake of the great resignation, have we actually learned anything? And when it comes to building engaging sales cultures and identities, how do you turn good intentions into results? We're talking today about what sales leaders and the learning and development leaders that work with them have to pay better attention to if they want productive sales teams, especially in the face of current economic volatility. Our guest today discussing all this is Andrea Pagnosi. She is Principal Coach and Consultant with Flint Coaching and Consulting. Thanks so much for joining us today, Andrea. Thanks for the opportunity. I appreciate it. So by way of brief introduction for our listeners, uh, Andrea has more than 20 years of experience in being immersed in coaching and developing strong leaders and building powerful training programs to support organizational development. Um, Andrea has combined sales background, particularly in the life sciences industry, with leadership and organizational development expertise really makes her uniquely qualified for the themes that we're going to discuss today on mental selling. She started Flint Coaching and Consulting, where she is sharing her knowledge through a very unique coaching expertise expertise called C6 Coaching. So, um, Andrea, let's jump right in, and I want to start with what I talked to at the top of the talked about at the top of the show, which is in the great of in the wake of the Great Resignation, in uh, context of sales organizations, what have what have we learned? Nothing. <laughs> In a nutshell, um, I think that we have attempted to do better at building systems where we can fall back to, God forbid, another pandemic happens. I think we'll look at the way we do remote learning and remote empowerment of our people far differently than we have. Um, But remote leadership is what we need to focus on is really supporting leaders to be better and more impactful in a, you know, remote environment. And what's funny about that is if you look at most sales cultures, the remote environment they've been operating in all along, it just, I think we saw a lot of people forced to do a lot of work because of vacancies, turnover, and uh, it all fell on the manager and they were very ill-equipped to go back to doing the job they did that got them recognized to be leaders and then be a leader under duress as well, having to empower um, the troops. And so I, I think we didn't learn enough as quickly as we should have. I'm hoping um, that we can do better in the long run as a result. And we're going to talk a lot today about sales cultures and building sales cultures. And one of the things you and I talked about um, previous to today was you've got a perspective on what you call the cardinal sins of organizations in building sales cultures. Could you could you talk about that for us? Absolutely. Most sales cultures are built from the top down. So you're looking at C-suite, executive leadership team, um, and 
you know, if you're a publicly traded company, this, the stockholders um, and the actual, you know, uh, top brass, right? If you're an, an owned entity and there's a parent company, it's the parent company that drives the goals, the objectives, the KPIs, and it's a trickle down philosophy. In reality, the people that should be informing a sales culture should be the ones that are closest to the customer. Many people who've been in sales roles for a long time have been arguing that fact for a long, long time. However, companies still feel that to keep the wheels on the bus, it has to be a top-down, trickle-down philosophy. I will tell you that in the startup companies in the Cambridge biotech area, we've seen the inverse be more successful at both employee satisfaction and reducing turnover rates. By enabling the people at the point of the customer to help inform what needs to be done from a customer problem need perspective and informing the C-suite first to help inform their decisions, it's almost an inverse. And that can really change the culture and not just turn it upside down, literally, but it can help engage people to want to help build the culture themselves. Because they'll they'll feel more empowered. Like you, it's an interesting perspective that, like you said, if, if you're starting from the front lines or from the bottom up, however you want to say it, then those people feel more valuable and more empowered. So I was going to jump forward a little bit and talk about then, but the role of the sales leaders, sales leaders will and 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 the sales teams that they support, they they want great cultures, but the, just the idea of culture still seems to be, for a lot of people, a very nebulous and abstract concept. So if for companies that are struggling to find their quote-unquote culture and identity, um, you know, what do they need to do? Can you elaborate on sort of what the path forward is? Yeah, I think it comes down to two different facets that are sort of based on the same premise. The first thing is that people need to feel like they belong in a culture. We take for granted during an interview process, let's say, before somebody even gets their feet in the door, that we only speak when spoken to when we're the candidate of, you know, prospect. We answer questions um, very reactively and we don't ask enough. It is as much, Will, about whether you're a fit for the company Mm -hmm. as it is for whether you're a fit for the culture they're interviewing and welcoming somebody new into. And the challenge is it's up to the individual coming in to determine, is this going to be a place where you feel you can really make an immediate positive impact with your talent, your uniqueness, and what you bring to the table? It's about that sense of belonging. And then the second side of it is understanding who you are in the process. Where does your role fit in the grand scheme of success at the company and what is success look like? Who am I going to be able to lean upon? Who am I going to be working with? Who am I reporting to? And that comes down to the sense of connection they have. So belonging and connection, I think is what we force too much in an organization. We predicate so many things on whether somebody's a fit to work with 
instead of welcoming people in, giving them as much knowledge about the organization and the people that they would be interacting with on a daily basis to help them make an informed decision to say, hey, I see myself in this culture and I can help build it. So you, t- you touched on something really interesting that I'd like to go a little bit deeper on, which is you said, Somebody, somebody that's joining a sales team, they can be a great fit for the company, but not a great fit for the culture. And I agree with that. But how does, how does, where does that fall as far as, as identifying that? Is it training and development leaders? Is it the, the, the hiring manager that's not putting that lens on enough? Because they can, you know, it seems like somebody can check, you know, check the boxes, if you will, on their resume and their experience that they're fit for the, the role. But being a fit for, again, the, the company and being a fit for the culture are two very different things. So how do you um, sort of gauge somebody for both? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And it's one that companies are continuously struggling with. I think it starts with human resources. As you're building a, a centrifugal force, that culture, that nucleus of the organization, you could make a job description with the perfect list of qualifications and the perfect experience coming into an organization on paper. And even in the interview, um, they can list off experiences and, and check boxes that you're looking for. But building a culture will isn't about checking boxes. It's about finding the right skill sets to complement the rest of your team. What one person may be really good at another person may not be on your team. So as you're building an organization, you need to have that lens, that framework to be looking at how do I build around the nucleus, that hole, that that cell, mm-hmm. right? That's going to be our, our network, our culture, our identity, our people, our tribe, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And managers just simply aren't trained to interview with that lens. So I think that starts with human resources. Um, and I think that learning and development can play a powerful role in building those soft skills. I hate calling them soft skills, but they do call them soft skills, the interviewing skills to be able to build an effective team. And unfortunately, leaders just aren't given that sort of background. Yeah. And a lot of times organization, those questions around things like values alignment, you know, does the organization's values align with the candidate's values? Sometimes it's not even asked in this, in the interview process. No, because and, the sales leader is looking for a strong salesperson, right? Their, their, right. their values are, eh, yeah, it's great if they have them. That's, that's icing on the cake, but the cake is what they're really looking for. They need a strong salesperson to move the business. So it's about right. numbers, not necessarily about values. So that's, that's maybe one of the lessons learned is that just has to be part of the interview process. You've got to go beyond the basic blocking and tackling skills that you want a salesperson to have and, and ask the questions that go, that go deeper. And then the, the other thing that, um, that you said that I really liked was sort of the, the fit for the strengths and weaknesses of the organization. It's almost like this, a sports analogy of a team that brings in or drafts players that are not necessarily good at everything, but they're good at this thing that integrates with what they're trying to do as, as a whole. And maybe that's that's a great yeah. analogy. I mean, I'll use yeah. my son as the example. He just started football practice. They had their first game. They won. Um, <laughs> and he's 11 years old. So they're still not um, putting them in any one position. He's playing both offensive and defensive line because right now his skills are just fundamental. 
until somebody has the expertise that really shows, hey, this person's a quarterback, the precision of their throwing is excellent, or hey, that person's fast and he can catch, he's a wide receiver. That's not going to come until they really work on the fundamental skills necessary to be strong at a particular position, to your point. Um, So I think that's a great analogy is the sports analogy of the holistic team comes down to people's strengths and the leader needs to orchestrate those strengths to move together synergistically to be able to move the business. It's not just whether they can close the sale. It's whether they can work together to, um, you know, build behaviors. And one of the things we've, we've talked about with another guest on this show is the idea that with more complex, um, complex deals and larger buying committees and things like that, that it requires a team focus, not just the individual sales rep to meet the customer needs and and ultimately win the deal. So if you have that team focus, again, it's got to be complementary skills. It doesn't have to be this, everybody has to be good at everything sort of thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And even when you consider the way that sales training is tasked with onboarding the people you bring into an organization, oftentimes it's, here's the fire, put it out. Here's the fire, put it out. We need somebody mm-hmm. who's better at closing. We need better asking of insightful questions to uncover problem needs. We need um, a better you know, approach to delivering the product message or the process message or whatever you're selling. The challenge right. is that sales training operates too tact- tactically. I, <laughs> that was a hard word to say, yeah. uh, right? But they do. Um, and what we're really supposed to be doing is building people's ability to sell. And that's not tactical, that's behavioral. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you're going to push metrics on how people's time to effectiveness is, you have to rate the holistic onboarding process of the fundamentals and how that person plays into the bigger team perspective. So I'm I'm glad you got into this because that was it was the next thing I was going to jump into was was this idea of how you've said that you know tr- sales training is too tactical and that and that coaching gets mistaken for focusing on on metrics. Um, you've also talked about sort of a, a rule of three in training. Can you talk about about that? I think that's an interesting perspective. Yeah. So I've been in training for a number of years, commercial training, as well as organizational development and absolutely everything that I have ever built to train to fundamentals or to skills or to behaviors is it has this rule of three. It must have these three concepts to be an effective um, knowledge transfer. C1 where they actually watch an expert or subject matter or a leader conducting something, teaching them the fundamentals on something, walking them through a best practice. That's the C1 component. It could be self-guided in a module or it could be an actual live lecture, however Mm -hmm. the company chooses to deliver it. The second part is do one. So they actually have to execute on what they've seen done to show that they retain the understanding and then receive coaching to sort of perfect the delivery of whatever that is or the knowledge. And by doing that, they're teaching back what they've learned. 
And so there has to be those three components in order for knowledge transfer or behavioral adoption to occur so that people really know that it's happened. Um, The teach one aspect, though, is the one that tends to be lacking. It's great to see it. And it's great to test people's knowledge, whether that's a survey or a quiz or just, you know, mm-hmm. having them do a you know mock sales call, let's say, because um, yeah. we know they love doing role plays. Right. But it's such an important aspect to really get the coaching to teach that back. And that's so gravely missing. It's like kind of a box check. Yep, you did it. Yep, you did all these elements go forth and conquer. That's not the way it should be. If you want to build behaviors, you need to make sure. And my mother used to say this, this actually comes from my mother's mentality, which was <laughs> you get straight A's in calculus, but if you can't teach me the fundamental principles of these algorithms, do you really know them? Right. So that's, that's the C1, do one, touch one mentality. And I think that, so the, you know, the, the, the do one comes is the flexing of the muscle, right? You've got to, you've got to practice it and build that, that muscle memory. Like, um, somebody I work with, he talks about, you know, you you can watch all the videos on how to play tennis. You can watch all the videos in the world, but until you actually get out on the court and do it, you're not going to learn it. Right. You, exactly. you can only learn so much from, from watching and, and hearing things. And the, the other aspect is the, the teach one is also, that's, that's where sort of training reinforcement comes in because then you get a lot of peer sharing, right? Yeah. People and talking I, about what's working for them or where they might be struggling and getting in. So it's not just the salesperson and this and the leader and the coaching, but that sort of ability to um, collaborate with each other, which and again, goes back to the culture issue, right? Or is it a collaborative environment where people are helping lift each other up? Absolutely. And the, the thing that's lacking is that managers aren't trained to be good coaches. They're trained right. to play up to the numbers, especially in sales. So, you know, the most important responsibility in any sales manager's life is to coach and empower their people. Happy people are productive people. If they feel like someone has their back and they're not going to let them falter or fail, um, and they're going to give feedback that's going to be actionable and easy to understand, that's clear and concise, then that is something that they're going to want to work within. And those are the questions that these prospective salespeople interviewing for a company should be asking, how do you coach and empower your people? Give me some examples. If they're going to ask you for examples in an interview, it's only fair that, you know, they give you some as well. Oh yeah. Like you said, you're a a, a salesperson interview. They're interviewing the company as much as the company is interviewing them. Any, anybody interviewing for a job is right. And that's again, part of that. Am I fit for the company and the culture? I think those, you're right. Those questions should come from the candidate to understand how he or she is going to be developed and and how they're going to be valued. Absolutely. Because what managers will do, and it's not wrong, right? You do want to be that mentor manager. It's not wrong at all for a sales manager to step in, especially with an important customer and show what good looks like. There is a modeling of behaviors that does happen, but 
there has to be an agreement between the employee and the manager. And it kind of comes down to that Kenny Rogers song, The Gambler, yes. like know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away. And that's what a manager needs to be trained to do is know when to lean in and when it's important to do that and model behaviors and know when to sit back and let them learn, get a little bit of mud on their face, help them to discern what could you do different next time and know when to step aside in, entirely and let them come to you for help. Because if you continuously step in, here's what I've seen managers do. They can't understand why six to 10 months later, they have turnover because people are angry mm -hmm. that my manager doesn't trust me and does everything for me. Then the half, the other half that stay is like used to you doing all the fire put outs yeah. and being, you know, the scapegoat. And then that manager wants to leave because now instead of just doing their own work, they've enabled their people to come to them with all their problems. And now they've got a ton of other stuff stacked up. So it really does come down to having an intuitive sense, having the empathy to be able to exercise when needed. Um, and sometimes people just need to be heard. They don't need you to step in and do things for you, for them. So creating that sense of safe space where we talk about what needs to get done and then we decide collectively who needs to do it is probably a better tact and a better way of doing things for a sales manager um, to lead with empathy, but also lead with efficacy. And it's such an important part of, of what organizations need to do, which is helping to define what coaching actually looks like. And a lot of the things you're talking mm -hmm. about, which is empowering and motivating and sometimes just listening, those are critical aspects of coaching. And, and I, I, there's probably also unintended consequences of the sales leader that goes through the very tactical things and the number oriented things, because the the person on the receiving end of that can feel like, why am I going through the, all these basic things, like, don't, don't they trust me? And again, mm -hmm. that, that can, can eat away at the person's confidence. And that's, that's really what a, what a sales leader needs to do is build the person's confidence to problem solve ultimately on their own. Yeah. I mean, we've always been told in any line of sales, there's always those reps that, get cherry territories they've inherited from somebody else or they themselves have built it to a point where it's pretty much on automation. Yeah, autopilot, right? yeah. They can be a 10 to two rep and go golfing <laughs> at two o'clock in the afternoon. And it drives the hard workers crazy because try as they might, they're busting their butts and it's not turning into um, quite the same business. And so what ends up happening is this sort of mentality that's been you're either chosen or you're frozen. And so people who are making a good living and flying under the radar, they just kind of, they tap out. And then when things get kind of hairy or market dynamics change and competitors come to the market and that sort of thing, or a recession, mm -hmm. which we're currently in and margins start to fall um, or become tighter, those people are kind of lost in the dark. And then the hard workers kind of take the upper hand um, if they're still around. And that's the challenge is there's this concept of quiet quitting where people have just checked out and they're exiting stage left before the manager can even save mm -hmm. 
So it's really about not just being there for your people, but being present when you're there for them, putting the phone down, having dynamic conversations, asking the right questions and doing so consistently, whether the person is a high performer or a low performer. It really is important for people if you're going to be an inspirational leader to inspire first by being present. Yeah, because just just being present, it communicates that, you know, that message of you're valuable and I'm truly interested and in, in invested in you as a person and trying to make you better and, and hear you and all those sorts of things. Yeah. Is you touched on this, um, given sort of the economic, what I would call sort of economic volatility, wherever we are, uh, you know, um, economic headwinds or whatever you want to call it, it does that does that create particular challenges as far as motivating people or and helping salespeople with their their confidence when you know maybe they're they're feeling like they have less influence right now than than they might otherwise have yeah you know being present um i'll go back to the previous aspect to to paint a picture here If you are a leader who isn't eternally present, coming present in a time when you have high turnover rates, which happens at times like these, I'll leave before I'm told I have to, is a mentality that people practice during times of great Mm -hmm. unrest. Um, This happened during the Great Resignation. We saw even in June of this last couple of months, um, four and a half million people left the workforce in search of greener pastures. Um, So... You know, getting ahead of turnover, but also getting ahead of volatility in market, whether it's industry related or, you know, federal dollar value related. Um, It really comes down to being present. But the second part is being present consistently and listening, active listening asking people what's on your radar, what's concerning you, what's keeping you up at night, what can I do to make your jobs easier? What can I do to make your jobs more fulfilling? Are questions that leaders are not trained to ask. They're just not. And it takes a little bit of coaching of the the coaches to help them understand how they can transform into the types of leaders that people want to work for. I want to stay with, especially at times of volatility. If you are not present at times of, that are good and suddenly show up at times that are volatile, that's not integral. Right. Right. People are not going to buy into that. So you've got to make sure that you're present at all times and that when you are, you're asking detailed questions to become connected. It's that, that point I made earlier about being connected, feeling like you have a sense of belonging that the person who manages you cares about your existence in the company. You're not just a number that's driving numbers for the company. And, and so much of what you're talking about is, is reflected back into what salespeople are taught, which is show that you're present, ask good questions, actually listen, all those, like that's, that's what you're taught as a salesperson. So that's what that should be reflected as a, as a sales leader. What, what would your advice be for, companies that are trying to identify the best profiles of potential sales leaders so that they get away from the sort of the cliche, like, well, you know, whoever our top performing salesperson is, they'll make the best leader, right? Most of the time, that's actually not true. What, what, what do you think? I'll answer that question twofold. 
There's the internal okay. component. So people that are in the system today that you've identified as potential future leaders of the organization. What you want to look for in terms of skill sets is not somebody that wants to create mini-me's if they're getting promoted. It's great if they have great sales behaviors and they take great tactics and they're very innovative and strategic in what they do. But it comes down to, are these people that are kind of the Pied Piper of the organization? Not the squeaky wheel, but somebody who people are drawn to. They're the people that their peers turn to instead of you at times when you can't be reached. They're the the person that you default to when you go on vacation. They're the person you'll put their name in your outbox. If there's an emergency, this person will help you. So they know the ins and outs of the organization, but they're people that it can be trusted. Trust cannot be coached. It cannot be forced upon people. Trust is something that happens uh, organically. Is the best word I can yeah. use. So internally, it needs to be somebody that's kind of the go-to. Now, if they're the go-to and they're not doing things right, that's a different story for a different topic. But essentially, you want somebody that people trust and trust from within that if they get promoted, they're not looked at as yesterday you were my peer, now you're my boss. Uh-uh. They're looking at people as yesterday you were my peer, now you're my boss. Yes. I want to work for you. I yeah. feel like I've been doing yeah. that. Now, externally, a little bit different. In interviews, when sales organizations ask potential leaders of an organization what they bring to the table, my first question as a leader coming in is, why are you not filling, backfilling with somebody in the organization? What do I need to know mm-hmm. about the situation? Um, The second thing I would ask the external candidate is not about the numbers, but how do you evoke trust? How do you create a sense of belonging? And what give them some case scenario questions showing their prowess as a coach. If they can do those things effectively, those are the skill sets that sales leaders need to possess today to really be effective. I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, given your um, expertise and experience in life sciences, and also because we have a lot of listeners to this podcast that are in the life sciences sector, can you just talk a bit about what um, what you think that industry is uniquely facing and what might be ahead if you're in you know, pharma, biotech, medical device, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, unless you're... <laughs> really patient (laughs) at times like these. Um, Whenever there's talk of a recession, whenever there's an upheaval of a political uh, nature, and it's been about a year and a half since we've uh, entered the Biden era, right? And so I don't mean to get politically, uh, and I won't say too much about it, but whenever there is change of that nature, it, it creates this sense of unrest on whether we expand or we contract our sales teams. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the companies that have been nimble and agile um, and been able to make do with less is one thing that I think Cambridge <laughs> Small Biotech does a really good job of is keeping things really tight knit and not expanding to the level of big pharma. 
the people that companies, the companies that are getting in the door at these rapidly closing doors in hospitals and, um, you know, in healthcare in general, they are opening them now to companies that have fewer people that are better trained, that speak on a different level and aren't driven by holistic metrics. They're companies that people want to work for. And I would tell you that the healthcare component does a lot of research now on who they do business with just holistically that they didn't do 10, 15 years ago. So when you're coming to the table with a new product, you have to have the reputation behind you to get in the door. And I think less is more. Less is more, which is why the companies that are producing rare disease and oncology products or unique medical technology are doing better than others. And a lot of what you're talking about goes back to the culture issue that we talked about at the beginning, right? If you're creating a, a sales culture that's truly customer centric, is trying to where you have salespeople that are have a vested interest in the customer's success and trying to help them make smart buying decisions like that comes, that comes out or conversely it doesn't right. If they're, if they're not those things. Yeah. It really is about how can you build their business? It wasn't that way before, back before, you know, freestanding endoscopy clinics and, you know, freestanding pain clinics and, you know, back before we actually had some pull with medical device companies arguing with med D plans and Medicaid plans to pay for things like insulin pumps for people with diabetes. Um, you know, before all of these innovative technologies came out and all of these innovative solutions that says, you know, I can teach you how to sell product within your office so that there's a, there's a financial need for you to meet with me. Um, before we had these nuances, it was five, 10 reps calling in the same doctor with the same bag of goods. Yeah. And now you really have to be strategic business person. You have to understand their business. You have to take time again, using those active listening skills. You did a great job. Well, of saying a lot of the skills we're requiring of really really great salespeople today are exactly the same transferable skills they would need to be a really strong leader today in the same organization. So these are a lot of great lessons learned. I think, you know, regardless of if you're an individual salesperson or sales leader, or you're a salesperson aspiring to be a sales leader, or the, again, the, the, the training and development and HR teams that are, that are supporting and, and collaborating with them. Um, so I, I hope the listeners today have, have learned a lot and taken a lot from this. Uh, I, I definitely have myself. Um, we're going to wrap up. I wanted to thank you, Andrea, so much for joining and bringing these perspectives. I think it's a really, really important, um, perspective to have. And, um, especially just where we are sort of economically and where sales organizations are in, in, um, doing things like building these, cultures and, and, and all these things in the, the wake of the great resignation and things like that. So thank you again so much. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, and for our listeners, please, um, you can learn more from Andrea. Uh, again, she is principal coach and consultant with Flint coaching and consulting. You can find her website at flintcoachingllc.com. 
Uh, you'll also find her and her firm on LinkedIn. Uh, Andrea has her own podcast, which is called 52 Weeks of Empowerment. Do you want to say anything about that podcast, Andrea? Sure. I started this as a labor of love back in January. And each week we've had some really insightful guests, everyone from HR executives to learning and development leaders to coaches talking about the best ways that leaders in corporations, as well as individual contributors can come to work with their best self each day. And if they're not in the right role, uh, we're fiercely dedicated to getting people into the right role in 2022. Uh, so again, that's the, her podcast, 52 Weeks of Empowerment. And you'll also find Andrea on Twitter uh, at Coaching Flint, Coaching F-L-I-N-T. So um, thank you to everybody f- for listening wherever and whenever you're listening to this. Thank you again to Andrea Pagnozzi for joining us and uh, hope you will all join us again next time. listening to Mental Selling, an Integrity Solutions podcast. Stay in touch with us by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast player and following us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Please give us a rating, leave a comment and share episodes you love. That helps us keep empowering sales and service leaders to master the mental side of selling. Until next time, let's go out and create amazing customer experiences.